Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Some of you are live streaming and some of you are live at our Charlotte, North Carolina campus, however you're connecting. I'm Talbot Davis, I'm the pastor here. And as always, I'm super glad to be able to welcome you to this, the fourth episode in our Graceland series. We've been bounding into Graceland, which is that realm of life where God does what we can't, where God achieves what we won't. It started a few weeks ago with chasing grace, and then the next week was supposed to be insulting grace, but I got a little bit sick, and Christmasito filled in, did some kind of grace stuff, and then last week it was saving grace, and today, the fourth, next week is saying grace, and today it's keeping grace, keeping grace. And, and to help us dig into keeping grace, if you have your Bible with you, and maybe your Bible looks like this, or maybe it's loaded on your phone, Either way is fine. I want you to locate the New Testament book of Colossians. It's not technically a book. It's actually a letter. Colossians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 17. And, it, and maybe you don't have a Bible like this or it's not on your phone. And it's okay. When the, when the, word, when the time is right, the words will be up on the screen as well. And uh, we're also going to take a very brief detour into the Gospel of John, some of the opening words of the Gospel of John. And we love it when you all are able to see the scriptures for yourself on a Sunday or any other day of the week, Good Shepherd, because at this church, I don't know if you know this, but at this church, we love the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, but we love it. And the reason we love the Bible is because we understand that it helps us to adore the Savior. We do worship Him. So the more we, we love Scripture, the better we're able to adore Scripture's Savior. And that really is what this church is all about. And when, if you ever wonder, well, why do they talk about the Bible so much? Why do they seem to love it so much? Because it helps us to adore Jesus. And out of that conviction that we have regarding Scripture, we do something unusual when we are together. And it's this, when we talk about the Bible, some of you beat me to the punch, we lift it up. And if you've never been here before or you've never tuned in before and you see phones in the air and Bibles in the air and you're just like, this is kind of a little bit unusual, we admit it. It is. We know this is strange. But we have discovered through the years that this moment of oddity shapes our identity as a community. You're going to hear more about this tomorrow night even, but this moment of oddity shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people who don't have life figured out, but we do know who does, and we're joyfully surrendered to the authority of his word. Amen? And before I say anything else, let's pray. So God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the Holy Spirit who breathed life and truth into it, and and thank you for the same Holy Spirit who is so eager and willing to breathe life and truth into our gathering. God, in these moments, before I give a message, I, with a real note of celebration, I admit that I am powerless without you. But because of you, I am never helpless. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, and, and some of you may remember this, but there was a, a woman of faith, well-known woman of faith, who died. And after she died, some of the letters that she had written during her life got 
released and, re- and revealed. And, and I wanted to share just a couple of these letters that this woman of faith had written during her lifetime. Here, here's what she said to one friend. I have no faith, no love, no zeal. Saving souls holds no attraction. Heaven means nothing. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. Second letter. There is such terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. It has been like this more or life, more or less from the time I started the work. And the third one, I no longer pray. And who was that woman of faith who wrote those letters? Mother Teresa. Probably the greatest saint of the entire 20th century. She had these seasons, she had these dark nights of the soul where not only did she not want to believe anymore, she wanted to flee her beliefs. She she just wanted to be gone from this faith that used to describe her and define her. And I, and I share those excerpts from her letters with you today, not to, not to begin everything on, on a, like a Debbie Downer note, but I kind of did, but I share them with you. I share them with you because I know that some of you could have written that. That some of you, you're, you're either in that season now or you were in that season five years ago or you are headed towards that season in the near future where this faith that used to give you meaning, now you want to flee it. And I know, I know that in my own case, there's been at least uh, two very different seasons of my life where I was at that same place. Man, there's this faith that it used to define me and now it just annoys me. And one, one of those times was years and years ago when I was in college and surrounded by all kinds of super smart people. And then the, the second time was about 15 years ago when I was in full-time ministry. And at both of those seasons in my life, I was like, I'm done let's pack up, let's be gone. This thing about Jesus used to define me and it now annoys me and I'm ready just to head on down the road. And, and so it's, it's Mother Teresa and, it, and, it, and it's me and, and I know it's a lot of you. Like for some of you, 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 you the reason that, that you now want to Flee the faith that used to kind of undergird your life. It has, it has to do with circumstances. I mean, you were into Jesus and you were praying to Jesus and you were living for Jesus and the marriage still failed. And the loved one still died. And the virus still virused. And the school shootings keep happening. And it's like, if you have to endure one more life disappointment or one more unanswered prayer, you too will know what it's like to have this thing you used to love and now you want it to be gone. And for others of you, it's not so much circumstantial. It's just all the really smart people in your life you got smart people at work or you got smart people at school and some of you got smart people at grad school 
And these smart people, they're so expert at poking holes in your faith. And if you're honest, you're now pretty much embarrassed to admit that you call yourself a Christian or that you go to a church because there's so many holes. The answers, the answers that used to work in Sunday school, they have not measured up to the challenges that you face in real life. And then for others of you, you know, it's not really circumstantial. It's not all these smart people. It's, it's actually something that I described a, a couple months ago when we were looking at the book of Ecclesiastes and it's how some people get so many breaks, they get broken by them. It's not that you don't believe anymore. It is that you don't care. That you, 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 you be, yeah, Jesus is probably Lord. He's just not your Lord. Jesus is risen from the dead. You actually believe in the resurrection. You're just just not sure how that connects with your life or even if you want it to connect with your life. And like I said, some of you have been through these seasons in your faith where you just, you wanted to, you know, clean your hands of that faith and just be gone and move on to the next thing. Some of you are there right now. And then some of you, you're getting there like one compromise at a time. And you just if you just have one more compromise, one more pursuing that habit that you shouldn't pursue, one more chasing after that relationship that you shouldn't have, one more compromise, and you, in fact, some of you have even been thinking, maybe by the time this message is over, one more compromise, and you can just be erased out of the Christian faith altogether. And so it's Mother Teresa greatest hero in the Christian faith of the 20th century. It's me, even while I was your pastor 15 years ago. It's a whole lot of you. And so what do we do? I mean, is, it, is this going to be the, the shortest message we've ever had at Good Shepherd? You, you want to lay, okay, we're done. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, if he still exists, amen. Is that what we're going to do? No, well, or is something more at play? Is something else going on? Is God doing something different in the middle of all of that? Because we are bounding into Graceland, this series. The series where, where we have been seeing all those ways that God does what we can't, God achieves what we won't. And in so many of these messages in the Graceland series, we have been looking at life and faith and eternity and God through the lens of Paul. And as you, some of you know, and others of you don't, Paul was a first century, 20, 30 years after Jesus lived and died and rose again, pastor, missionary, author. And in what we're going to look at today, he is writing a letter to the church in the ancient Greek city of Colossae. And the people, that's why the book or the letter in your Bible, it's called to the Colossians. It's called Colossians because the people who lived there in Colossae were Colossians in the same way those of you who live in Charlotte, you're Charlotteans. Those of you who live in Fort Mill, you're Fort Millionaires. That's the way. <laughs> that, that's exactly, I don't know about Lake Wiley and Clover. That's exactly and precisely the, the, the concept here. And you need to know, in, in case you didn't, Paul never writes a letter to a church in a vacuum. There's always some crisis he's addressing. 
There's always something going on in the life of that church. And in the, in the case of the Colossians, there was some real serious stuff that was going on. Because what was happening in, in Colossians is that some skeptics and some doubters and some scoffers had gotten their claws into the Colossian church. And they had infected that church with all kinds of false teaching to the point that the people Paul is writing the letter to, a whole segment of them want to leave the faith. And in particular, the the two false teachings that these scoffers have gotten involved in and infected the church with, they're going to sound so weird to us, but in those days they made perfect sense. But one of the false teachings, this is weird, is that matter, like physical reality, rocks and trees and birds and people and grass, and matter is evil. And because matter is evil, whatever God created the physical world, well, he's an evil God. There's a good God who who created only spirit. And there's a bad God who created everything that we see. And and as the creed says, the maker of heaven and earth, well, guess what? He's the bad God. So the the false teachers have gotten into Colossian church and saying, you know, that that God you're worshiping, he's the bad God. There's a good God. You're just not smart enough to know about it yet. The second false teaching was that, that, that had infected the Colossian church was a group of people who said that Jesus is not the one and only, he is one among many. That, that Jesus is just like all the other re- great religious leaders in world history, but he's, there's nothing especially unique about him. Not the one and only. He is one among many. And so faced with these two realities going on, Paul knows he has to spring into action. And as we look at these verses in Colossians, we're going we're gonna to see Paul at his Paulist. Because he's going to confront the false teaching. He had no problems confronting the false teaching. And he's going to comfort the Colossian believers. And he's going to do so. I mean, I, you, you may not know this, but, uh, you, you know, Bible, big library, a lot of sections in the biblical library. I love the Bible. But these words in Colossians, like if, if I was having to have a Mount Rushmore, what are, what are your absolute favorite passages? This is on my Mount Rushmore. I, I am just so keenly aware that what Paul is able to accomplish with these words is so miraculous and so breathtaking. And he moves from logic and he moves from argument and he makes it into an anthem. He turns it into praise. And so my prayer is, Lord, I mean, I'm holding these words with fear and with trembling because they're such a treasure. And I'm like, Lord, just just help my words have a fraction. Just, Just the tiniest percentage of what you did when you inspired Paul to write them. Look at how he starts in chapter one and verse 15. The son, talking about Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The son is the image. And when it says image there, that means in the ancient mind, this is how the Colossians would have read it. There is no difference between the the representation and the thing that he represents. 100% replica. So the son, he is saying, is God. Zero difference. And then he, then he goes on. The firstborn over all creation. And some of you may be like, wait, what? I thought, I thought you all at this church, you believe Jesus is God and Jesus has always been there. Now it's saying he's the firstborn of all creation. Is this saying, is this saying 
there was God and then God had a baby and he was Jesus. And before, so God, the father, and then there is God, the son. And there's some like, like Jesus is really good, but he's just a notch below the father. You only ask that question. You only think that's what it is saying when you don't know what that term means, which is okay, because we live in 2022 and not in 50 AD. More importantly, when you don't know how the Colossians would have read it, that's what we get to do when we read the Bible. Oh, how did the first audience see this? And the Colossians knew, they knew that when Paul says Jesus is the firstborn of creation, it has nothing to do with order of birth or chronology of development. It has everything to do with status in the universe. So by telling the Colossian Christians that Jesus is the firstborn of the universe, it's exactly the same as saying Jesus has no rival and he has no equal, and he is the exact replica of the Father. So already, Paul is saying, kind of without saying, hey, losers, loser false teachers, I'm here to set you straight. And then he goes on. Verse 16, I love this. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things. How many exceptions are there to all? All things have been created through him and for him. I love this. Talk about a verse that says losers in it. Hey, you all, you all who... <laughs> who say there's a good God and a bad God and the good God created only spirit and the bad God created the physical reality. You don't know what in the world you're talking about. There's one God and his name is Jesus. And he made it all matter and antimatter, spirit and flesh, physical reality, invisible reality. He made it all. And I love how, how in, the, in the middle of a letter, in the middle of some praise, God, Paul is not scared to put a little bit of smack down on people who would take the truth of Jesus and twist it, pervert it. And as good as all that, all that stuff is, the, oh yeah, and I love how the Bible is a library, by the way. Look, look at John chapter, we're going to put it up on the screen, John chapter 1 and verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And you're like, whoa, that sounds and looks a whole lot like what we just read in Colossians chapter one. And think about it, good shepherd. We, we say the Bible is a library, but John who wrote the gospel of John and Paul who wrote Colossians, they likely never met one another. They're writing very different pieces of literature. John is writing a biography of Jesus and Paul is writing a letter. They had different audiences and spoke different languages and from different backgrounds. And yet they have one single message. Jesus made it all. And ultimately Jesus, hello, paid it all. I mean, what are the odds? The two guys with such different backgrounds, addressing different audiences with different kinds of writing would say the same thing. It's almost like the whole thing is inspired and eternal and true. Bible's good, people. As good as all that is. Verse 17, look, look how he winds up this section within a section. He, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. I, he is before all things. I, I love that because it makes me think of of this, y'all know what this is? 
this is my super ignition switcher honor. What this thing does is for my gas-powered edger, which I kind of love, not to exaggerate, but it might be the most important thing in my life, my gas-powered edger, when I pull my gas-powered edger out, because I have this, I never have to pull that blankety-blank, blankety-blank, blank. I've heard some of you. I know the language that comes out of your mouth when you pull the cord and it will not start. But because of this ignition switcher on her, I never have to pull that cord again. I plug this into the back of the edger. I plug this into the outlet. I press one, vroom, edging Can I give it up for edging perfection today? And edging perfection starts. This is my ignition switcher honor. And what Paul is saying, that's what Jesus is. He's before everything. He was the ignition switch at the beginning of everything. At his word, everything came into being that has ever come into being. He's the great ignition switch that started it all off. But then it gets better because look what he says beyond that. He, He says, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. So he's the ignition who who fires it. He's the fuel that propels it. And he's the adhesive that holds it all together in him All things hold together. That the same power that spoke the universe into existence is also holding it into compliance. Because I don't know if you know this mathematically or scientifically or not, but if if, if the math of the universe was off just the slightest bit, if if gravity was just a, a touch different than it is, if the oxygen percentages were just slightly askew from what they are, then life on earth as we know it would be completely impossible. We would spin out of control into this inhospitable existence. But God, except Jesus, things could spin out of control and yet in him all things hold together. And I've come before you this morning, good shepherd, to let you know that what is true of the universe is true of you. That in the same way, he holds creation together. When it wants to fall apart, he's holding you together when you're falling apart. And every one of you who feels like, man, when it comes to my faith, this thing that used to define me now annoys me. There's too many smart people around me and I don't believe it anymore. I've had too many disappointments in my life or one more compromise and I'll be done with the whole thing. Here's what you need to know, this breathtaking truth we get from Colossians chapter one. It's this, that his power to hold is greater than your desire to flee. That the God whose power not only got the universe started, holds it all together, is in fact keeping you tight when you have such a desire to run away. It's called keeping grace today. And guys, you are a kept man. And that's good news. His power to hold is greater than your desire to flee. It's so much like the... Uh, this uh, image that I may have shown you before, it's called kintsugi. We're going to throw it, yeah, kintsugi, which is a Japanese pottery. And in, in this art form in Japanese pottery, they take the 
broken pieces of the pottery. And instead of using glue to put it back together, they use gold. I mean, who needs super glue when you can have super gold? And the, the aftermath of putting all these broken pieces together, held together with super gold, is more beautiful and more impactful and frankly more valuable than ever was before it broke apart. And that's what God is doing with you. You, you wanted to run and you wanted to flee and some of you, your life did fall apart and some of you, you did start wandering away and yet he's super golding you back with his love because in the, uh, in the other, on the other side of that, he's gonna make you bolder and he's gonna make you more beautiful than you would have been uh, on the other side. His power to hold. It's greater than your desire to flee. Or it's like what we send out every morning. Our church sends out reading prompts, come alive daily, Bible reading for 1,000 people or more, 1,200 people or more. And, and, and part of what we send out many mornings just reminds people, you are chased, caught, and kept. You've been chased, you've been caught, and now you're kept. And that's what it's like. Some of you, God has been relentless in chasing you down. and Then he caught you. And now the same one, he had to run so hard and so fast to chase you down. Those times that you want to flee, you're kept. His power to hold. Greater than your desire to flee. It makes me think of this conversation that I had back in college with a guy, this guy who was at the same time a really good friend and really skeptical of my Christian faith. This is possible, you know? It's, it's, it's actually advantageous. I recommend it. Really good friend, really skeptical of my Christian faith. And, and in his eyes, because, you know, we were so different. I was, I was from Texas and he was from New York. And, and I had recently, a couple years earlier, I'd become what back in the 70s and 80s, they'd call a born-again Christian. And he'd only... He'd only heard about born-again Christians like in the media. He'd never actually met any Christians. And so I was like a human experiment to him. And he, he's, he was kind of like, I've heard about you. I've never actually met one of you. So he wanted to find out what it was that made me tick. And I remember this one conversation we had, and he asked me, well, could you leave if you wanted to? And I sort of hemmed and and I sort of hawed, because I was young, young in the faith and young in years, and I didn't really have a good answer. And I sort of landed, well, well, I just, I just don't think I would ever really want to, because he loves me. And, and, and my friend was like, see, I knew it, you're in a cult. <laughs> they, they got you in, and they are not going to let you out. You are in a cult. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't, you know, because I, I was young in faith, and I was young in years, and I didn't have a good answer. Now I do. Now I know. Yeah, I could have said, yeah, there's been plenty of times I wanted to leave. Plenty of times I found it inconvenient. Plenty of times I was intimidated around smart people like you telling me what a fool I was. But his power to hold is greater than my desire to flee. That's how I would answer that question now. Now, please do not hear what I am not saying. A lot of times people use this kind of conversation, this kind of topic to address that issue. Well, can a Christian ever leave the faith? Can someone who ever claimed to be a Christian ever then not claim to be not a Christian? And, and actually in the, in the biggest of pictures, 
that hypothetical question, can he or can't he, is way less important than the actual question, will he or won't he? Because I guess I, I, I fall that, that I believe that God gives people free will before they come to faith. And he doesn't then remove it after they come to faith. So I suppose hypothetically possible, it is conceivable that someone could deny what they used to embrace. They could be annoyed by what used to define. It is possible. But when you realize what's going on, that in him all things hold together, you realize it's totally the wrong question. Not can he or can he, will he or won't he? And why would you want to? Some of you, some of you today, you feel like one more unanswered prayer, one more disappointment, one more meh in life, and you are out of here. If that's you, I want you to know his power to hold is greater than your desire to flee. And then others of you, you're, you're tired of being made to feel foolish. People have poked so many holes. Twitter told you it wasn't cool to be a Christian. And, and so you're, you're, you're ready to be done with it. Listen, if you want to know where the fools are, they're on Twitter. And his power to hold is greater than your desire to flee. And others of you, you're on that journey, one compromise at a time. You eventually hope you'll just be erased from the faith. And when I talked about one compromise at a time earlier in the message, you couldn't believe I said it because that's exactly the life that you've been living. And if that's you, and if you are tempted one more compromise, one more bad habit, one more unhealthy relationship, and you'll be out of here, there's a test of wills going on in your life right now. And I want you to know whose will is stronger and whose love is deeper. His power to hold is greater than your desire to flee. Because you need to know this. At every level, that thing you want to flee for, you know, that whether you want to flee for intellectual acceptance or whether you want to flee for that relationship you shouldn't have or whether you want to flee just because you're lazy, it always over promises and under delivers every single time. And Colossians 1 lets us know from the very beginning that you're not the point because you weren't the source. This is bigger than you. And yet God wants to involve you. God longs to invite you. And I just can't, I can't get away from the fact Colossians 1, these, these words that we started that, man, Paul starts out in argument. He starts out with rhetoric and starts out with logic and he ends up with praise. He starts out writing a letter and he ends up writing an anthem. And it is as if he gets swept up into the very goodness of God because Paul knows that every time that he wanted to flee, there was Jesus. And Paul knows that every time in the lives of the Colossian church, when they wanted to flee, there was Jesus. And Paul knows that every time when the universe is fixing a fall apart, there was Jesus. He gets caught up in wonder, and awe, and praise. How, people? How can we do anything else? 
His power to hold greater than your desire to flee. And let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you even for the test of wills going on in this space, in this moment now. Would you make abundantly clear to all the folks hearing my word that they are kept and keeping grace is such a gift because it reminds us at every stage, every season, that's where Jesus is. In your name we pray.